amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Michael O'Kane, the developer behind the arcade racing game known as Inertial Drift. Michael, thanks for joining. Of course, happy to do it. Yeah, of course. I'm very excited to talk with you today because you were you were actually recommended by Sid, who is a friend of the show. And after checking out the game, I'm I'm glad he did. I, I hadn't heard about your game before this, but it looks like a blast. Um, but that being said, before we talk about the game, I always like to start off these interviews just getting to know the the actual creators, the people behind the games, right? So, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you even started creating games in the first place. Sam. Our, our team is basically two people. Uh, there's myself, I do all the programming uh, and mm-hmm. a lot of the design work on the game. And then my friend Tom, who does all the art. And we did like 90% of the stuff and we outsourced some bits here and there. But um, we're based in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, Tom is originally from the south of Ireland. I dragged him up here to come work on <laughs> my project with me. Um, we met uh, kind of on my placement year in uni. I worked in Dublin. Uh, we were both working on the same project there. And we kind of just liked... Um, each other's work and felt like we could work on something together so we were sort of looking for a project to work on mm-hmm. I started this game really at that uh, like on that placement year at that job just in my spare time and um, was kind of doing it you know for a long time just on the side before I like took it into a, a full thing but yeah I did the games course at Queen's University in Belfast um, mm-hmm. which was kind of like it was their computer science degree but they specialized a few of the modules into more games focused things um, but it was very gotcha. programming oriented it wasn't like design focused really um it was very like hardcore um yeah like practical programming stuff uh, which is a thing that i really wanted because that was the bit i was most interested in mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. yeah i just started making stuff in my spare time and this was a thing i was spinning up while i was working for other people and then eventually it got to the point where i felt like it was worthwhile pursuing this full time and so i got some funding um locally to go and and really build it out into something big and then eventually we got a publisher and yeah, it's finally done. <laughs> That's quite the uh, quite the history there. I'm I'm sure you're skipping a few details, but I like the synopsis of it. Um, before we dive into the actual game or you know talk too much about it, um, it's funny that you you sum it all up in those those quick easy steps, right? That was such a, a short like 30 seconds of this was my process from university to building a game, but the game actually took a lot longer, um, which is a very interesting point because on Twitter, I saw you advertising your game um, and and mentioning that it had been in development for seven years, which is, it's a pretty long time when you think of development cycles. Um, was, was this, and you kind of already alluded to, but was this like all full-time, part-time? What did that actual development process look like for the game uh, in between that that point of it just being a side project and and then turning into that like oh we could really go somewhere with this so yeah it was it was definitely a side thing initially so yeah the seven years started from my original prototypes for it where mm-hmm. in my spare time while working at that company in dublin um mm-hmm. i then went back to uni for my final year and i didn't get a ton of stuff done on it but it was a thing that i'd like to do a little bit on evenings and weekends now right. and then. Mm-hmm. um after that 
uh, I started doing like some contract work and some part-time, like a few days a week work for other companies. Uh, and so it was like when I had, didn't have work to do for other people, then I would go and work on inertial drift instead. And so sometimes I'd have like two days a week to work on it. Then after a while I was doing like five days on those projects. So I wasn't really doing it. Then as the work started right. to die down again, I was quite motivated to, to work on stuff. And, you know, I was getting up early to check to see if I had any work to do for these other people. And if I didn't, then I was like, well, I might as well work on my own game. And so I was putting <laughs> a lot of time into it. And that was a really good motivator to get a lot of stuff done. And right. So that's kind of, I did maybe like a year of it like that um, before we got some funding. And then after that, I was basically full-time on it for about three years. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, even at that point, you know, I do like little bits on the side for other people as well. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I always, I always like to ask this because I think it's, it's interesting. What was that point where you said, you know, this is a side project. I'm doing this on the side while I'm also working on a, a bunch of other, you know, uh, projects for, for actual people for money, for, you know, keeping yourself like sustaining, right? At what point did you say, you know what, this, like, I could really go full time with this. Like I could, I could focus most of my attention, if not all on this game. Was there something where you, you know, you felt like, oh, we've actually have something here that's, that's worthwhile. Or was it just more, you were passionate about it and it just kind of went back and forth whenever you had the time you, you focused on it more and, or less. So honestly, the, the catalyst for going full time on it was more to do with getting to understand uh, the funding environment here in Northern Ireland than it was to do with the game itself. The game mm, was really interesting immediately because mm -hmm. the kind of the core mechanic of it, the like twin stick controls was mm -hmm. literally the first thing I ever did. And I was like, is this going to be dumb? And I tried it and it was immediately interesting. And so I kind of knew it was going to be worthwhile even then. And it just slowly right. got more and more interesting over time to me. Um, but the thing that, you know, I, I was not really expecting to be, you know, like, doing it running a company um or you know like taking it into full-time development until i'd been doing stuff i was like basically the sole programmer for these other mm -hmm. people's projects and they were getting funding from some local government bodies that fund interactive content and so just mm -hmm. doing stuff with them in these really small teams uh, i started to learn how that process worked and about what funding was available to leverage uh, and it was just like oh okay i can very easily get my hands on you know enough money that we could bootstrap this for like a year potentially and yeah you know like at you know, not paying ourselves particularly well but certainly you know like enough that i could you know pay someone to come on and do the art and yeah you know, like take this seriously and so i basically just went to tom and said look tom i can get us funding for this um do you think what i'm working on is interesting is this something you'd like to come and spend your time on and he quite liked the whole concept and so that's really the point where i was like okay well let's see what this looks like if we put you know, a bunch of time into it. And then it took way longer than that, actually. But I was expecting that we would have something at the end of a year. And then, right. you know, like maybe we'd start pitching at that point. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of was more like two years before we eventually signed a deal for it. <laughs> but it, it kind of, it was always fine. We got some more funding through some other things. And yeah, um, it just kind of like snowballed from there. But um, yeah, it was, it was really, it, it's, it was the business side of it that, you know, I didn't really know anything about. And so once I understood, oh, this is, a thing that I could do um, and I can get funding for it, uh, then that is what made it viable. Right, right. That's super interesting. That's such a different approach that I wouldn't have even, you know, envisioned or imagined. But um, 
I don't mean to, to pry too much into this, but I'm just curious, you know, uh, a lot of people generally get set back with, you know, their deadlines. A lot of people who go into this field are like, oh, it'll be a year. And then it turns out to be, you know, one, two, three extra years just because development is tough, right? The, there's so many ifs and, and, and things that you really just can't account for, right? So like just prying a little bit into that, why do you think you didn't meet that mark of hitting that like that one year initial like, oh, we'll be able to pitch by then? Was there something about the mechanic that was tougher? Was it just, you know, uh, trying to do too many ambitious things? Like what ended up holding you back? Well, so we, we were able to pitch within that year. It just took longer to actually find someone who was interested gotcha. in it because, you know, mm -hmm. we're like, we're, we're, we're nobodies. We're making a stupid thing. <laughs> and we have no track record. And so right. the way that you get that across the line with a publisher really for your first thing is by like having it almost be completely done when they're looking at it and they just don't have to imagine what it's going to be like or imagine if you're going to be able to do it because it's already there and they can play it. Um, <laughs> and so it, it was kind of like that we did. We did that first year. We did take a couple of months out to work on another project that got us some more money. That was like another thing of our own, um, mm -hmm. but you know we could pay ourselves a little bit better for it because it was like part of uh, almost like a competition kind of thing that we got right. funding for. Um, so there is like there's a six month chunk in there that I guess we didn't actually spend necessarily on the game, so it wasn't quite three years of full time <laughs> stuff. Um, right, right. But thinking back on it, I think yeah, we, we definitely we had something, and then it was just a case of we had a little bit more money, we could push it a little bit further. I wasn't too far off on. The programming side of it like i'm pretty good at estimating how long it's going to take me to do things i think the mm -hmm. art side of it a lot of the stuff tom was originally a 2d character animator was the thing that he did the most and there is like very little 2d character animation in this game and to yeah. be fair all the 2d character animation that's in it he didn't do um <laughs> so he was uh yeah he, he was like learning a lot of new stuff and so a lot of that the process of working out what the art style was going to be and how to execute it that was the thing that kind of took a bit longer, but the, right. it didn't, it didn't necessarily matter. You know, like, um, we were because of the funding we got at certain times, it was always just like, we were choosing to do a little bit more because the game would be better for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. it was the kind of thing where, you know, I always had a plan for like, okay, if we have to wrap this up in a short space of time, you know, like this is the limited version of the game we're going to do. Uh, and then right. particularly when we got a publisher at the end, it was just like, well, we can just add a bunch of extra features. Now, and so, like, that's why we added multiplayer and a couple of other things like that. That was just like, now we can go do these extra things. Right, right. And it let us polish the art and stuff a bit more. So some of that was, it was intentional and we could have finished it earlier if we wanted to. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want to have the best product you can. You want to try to put all the bells and whistles on it after, you know, you you have a, a good foundation in place. But it's interesting to hear because a lot of people, when they think of game development and these delays, they think of, oh, something went wrong with the actual game itself or something took longer. But it's interesting to hear that different side of it of, you know, some of it is just it's it's trying outside of the game to just gain a foot in the door, right? It's trying to market yourselves. There's a big part in indie games where you could be the best developer and you could have the coolest game and you, it could fly under the radar just because you don't know how to market yourself well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I learned along the way was that, you know, I was pitching like a certain thing at a certain size and people aren't necessarily interested. Like you're almost better pitching for something bigger and more expensive because at a certain size, publishers won't consider it to be worth their time. And right. so like that pitching the bigger thing and the taking longer was what it took to get it signed in some ways. Hmm. Interesting. 
you can pitch too low and you can pitch too small. Um, though a lot of the time it's hard to scope a thing down to a size that's doable. But there's there's like a line there between, you know, what's what's small enough that you can do it and what's big enough that anyone's going to care. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. But let's talk about the actual game itself now. So this this whole process, we're, we're talking about Inertial Drift, which for those who don't know anything about this game, how, how would you describe it? Let's hear the elevator pitch. Ooh, if I can remember the elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could, you could make up something new. It doesn't have to be the exact one. <laughs> well, yeah. So the basic idea was to, to take some, like, like a retro arcade racing experience, like something PS1 era, like the Ridge Racer style experience, and to mm -hmm. take that, modernize it a little bit, and then add like a twist so that we're not just retreading the same space that those games already did. We're doing something new that no one's ever done before. Um, right. And so that was like, basically, I, I took all my favorite parts of those old arcade racers, and then I added in twin stick controls so that you have independent control over your steering and your drift angle. And like mm -hmm. initially to people, that sounds totally bananas. Why would you want to do that? Cars don't work <laughs> like that. But the thing is, is that um, I guess arcade racers, they're about making like drifting more accessible. Like drifting is a fun thing to do, but it's very hard to do in real life and it's not actually very fast. And right. so you kind of want to throw that out the window and you want to make it as easy to drift as possible. And the way people do that a lot of the time is they they put your car on rails um, so that you're not really in control of it through the corner um, or they just do a load of like assists to make it, it easier. And so mm -hmm. what I did was I just simplified it all down and I was like, all right, you hold the right stick and that controls your drift angle and then you can steer independently so you can do counter steer and all these cool things that are very difficult to do in other games. They're suddenly very easy to do. And so we simplified it by giving you more control instead of less control. And that allows you to do much more depth than you would normally do. And so that was the core thing. It was like the accessibility of it, but then also the depth that means you want to come back and keep playing and get better. Right. Right. I Yeah, I think that is the... If you're going to take one thing away from this, it's definitely the fact that you basically redefined a mechanic that has been so instilled in racing games for for very long uh and and kind of flip that on its head with this very simple but complex way of doing it um and and the one thing that i i, I think of especially looking at this it's interesting you know where where did that idea come from how did you come up with the idea of like why don't we just because it's on paper it seems uh, a little bit crazy right but it also seems really like kind of an obvious thing of just separating it out and having two two things one that allows you to control the car and one that lets you just drift so like where did that come up what were you like one day did it just pop into your head how did that work so like the i've always been interested in alternate control schemes i, I think the origin of it is playing the original skate where hmm. that game looked at the skateboarding genre and just mm -hmm. completely ignored the way everyone did things before. And they were like, what would feel most, what would give you the most direct control? What would feel most like the real action in the real world on an analog stick? And so, you know, they did like a bunch of flicking frollies and, and stuff like that. And that mm -hmm. all became mm -hmm. kind of intuitive. And there was like, like a system you could work with there. And um, I thought that was really interesting. I think at the time I was thinking about stuff like, um, I guess Wii motion control stuff was fairly popular and mm. touchscreen games were doing things like infinity blade were doing you know the idea of like motion control style one-to-one -one motion but on a touchscreen and mm -hmm. i was like well skate is that on an analog stick and you could do that for almost any genre so why hasn't anyone done it for any other genre right uh, 
And so that was kind of, I was like, I, when I come to think about game ideas a lot of the time, I'm like, can I apply that skate thing to, to this? And in the case <laughs> of a racing game, um, that seemed like the obvious split to do. I kind of, I looked at it from the perspective of if you forget how a car works whatsoever, and you imagine a universe where cars are controlled with controllers, what would be the most intuitive way to control an arcade racing car? Mm -hmm. And that split just then seemed obvious at that point. <laughs> All right. Interesting. And and was this something where, you know, that obviously that kind of, it's explained in a well fashion, but I'm sure this took a little bit of getting used to. Was this something where there were multiple iterations of getting this right? Or was it something where, you know, you came up with the mechanic, that's where it started, and then you just, you put a game around that? I was always kind of scared, actually, that people would struggle with it if they hadn't got twin stick manipulation skills already from like third person shooters on console or like just twin right. stick shooters because right. that's kind of like two independent things you've got to do at the same time mm -hmm. um but actually i find that it's easier for a lot of people than normal racing games um because at least it's only one axis on each stick so it's not like mm -hmm. a huge amount of stuff to think about and initially you can just push both sticks in the same direction um right People are confused by it, but only for three laps. And after three laps, most people have got it down. They might occasionally steer the wrong direction or something, but um, uh -huh. the onboarding process was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. In terms of um, evolving it over time, the, the basic idea was always the same, but the handling underneath to make it feel good took years to get right, partially right. because it was a spare time thing, but but that evolved a lot. You know, There were a lot of questions about, you know, like... Um, I guess you think you can think about the right stick as what way does that interact with the drift angle? So, you know, if you hold it halfway, do you get half drift angle or is mm -hmm. it like a force or um, yeah, just like what does it snap out to there immediately? Or like what are the rules about how long it takes the car to match the angle that you've told it to do? There are a bunch of things around that that took a long time to just for me to decide what I wanted to do because no one has done that before. So I had to go and just try the possibilities and see what one I liked. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I can see that that would be, you know, it's such a c simple concept when you just say it, but there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of like small minute pieces that, that work up to what is now that drift mechanic. Uh, but going back to that, that original point of, of how will people get accustomed to it? Uh, I think that's really interesting. That was actually going to be one of my questions is if people kind of had a problem with, you know, going from either veterans of, car games who now have to go to this very new mechanic or just people who don't play games generally might have an issue with it like i think of my my wife who i, I give her a controller and if it's something like a you know a twin stick type of game where you need to control both of them at the same time it is just it is impossible for her like her brain just does not work that way and it's so weird because like you know for for someone like myself or a lot of people who actually play games that's just an innate understanding so I, i'm interested to hear though that that they pick it up so quickly i'd love to see i i do want to kind of do an experiment and see how quick it takes my wife to get that but we'll see but yeah so that that was a thing i was always thinking about and so that's why a lot of the cars are designed the way they are is that so the four main story cars i take you from the first car is designed so you can almost drive it with one stick initially and it's mm -hmm. about teaching you how to use two sticks the second car starts off with assuming you can basically use two sticks and then gets you to start like doing stuff with the throttle or, or the brake just one at a time. Um, mm -hmm. And then as you move up the cars, like I add in more and more techniques for you to, to try and master. 
but the, the easy car is easy enough that my mother who's never played the game in her life um would come in in the evenings and like play a bit and i'd have to kick her off to go to bed um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah yeah i mean i think if my if my mother can do it then uh, i think the the barrier is lower like she would not be able to play gran turismo so right, you know, i think we've right. lowered the, the the entry difficulty bar below what normal racing games normally have mm -hmm. part of that That's actually awesome. was about making the controls predictable that was a thing i wanted i felt like that is a thing that maybe is the difference between an arcade racer and a sim racer for me is that you tell the car what to do and the car does it in an arcade racer whereas you're fighting against the car more in a sim racer uh, and yeah. so that informed a bunch of my decisions about the physics was to make it so that it's always your fault if a thing messes up because if you do a thing the car will just do what you tell it to do um, <laughs> yeah um, that's so why I didn't go for like a, a physics-y force-based approach I went for like something that was as predictable as possible right right I think it makes sense especially with how quick you want to be on a lot of these 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 turns and drifting with the cars um, that being said Sticking on on the topic of you know people first getting this in their hands, what was what has the reception been like? Uh, at least from from your eyes, for people, especially when you were like in, you know the beta phase or just uh, first rolling out this game, what was the reception when people had first tried it? And and you know I'm sure you did like on down on show floors and things like that where they haven't seen something like this before. They're they're probably used to a lot of the the well known car racing games that you think of today, but now they're they're given this totally new mechanic. Was it something where you had a lot of people who just kind of just jumped into it and were like, wow, how has no one thought about this before? Or, you know, what was the reception like? Yeah, that that was largely the reception. I always expected the game to be more divisive than honestly it ended up being. I was just I assumed that some people would hate the idea and think it was stupid. Um, but <laughs> It didn't really happen, especially, I mean, people are nice to you on show floors because they're like staring you in the eyes and uh, right. they really want to be nasty. But yes, uh -huh. like there were very few people who just gave up and walked away. There were more people who were confused for the first two corners and then they'd be like, oh, I get it, like a couple corners in. And that's why I made the first achievement in the game when you push the stick for the first time, pop up, oh, I get it, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. But yeah, honestly, there were I've seen very few people just give up and walk away a lot of them would come back like multiple times at a show and you know like to get better at it and to like push further and further into it and yeah we've had very like very positive feedback on steam even um which has been great because yeah i really just thought that at every stage you know as we pushed to a bunch of new people i'd be like oh well now we're going to get the people who hate it who are going to complain about it but it didn't really happen people right. people get the value proposition that was the thing that surprised me most it was like that people play it and they're like um, you know, I was like, oh, I want an arcadey thing, but I want all this depth to it. And most people see that. There's always a few people who don't, but it's been a much smaller number than I was expecting it to be. Right. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's one of the things that I did notice. This game has quite a, a lot of positive reviews, uh, pretty high scores among many critics, which is awesome. Congratulations on that. Um, let's dive a little bit into the actual art style. I do have just one question about this because I... For one, uh, I do really enjoy the the art direction that you took for this, but you're describing it as an old school meets new wave look. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to go in this direction for the art style as opposed to, you know, maybe something else? So yeah, for me, the, so, um, I mean, Tom did the art stuff and I let him take direction on it a lot. Uh, okay. So he can say more than I can. But for me, you know, whenever I was like pitching it to him, the thing I wanted to do was I wanted to make like a retro future where pop-up headlights were cool again. Like that is the line that I said. <laughs> um, I, I really, so 
I guess my favorite racing game of all time is Ridge Racer Type 4. I really love that game. Um, I'm, I really love like 90s sports car designs. And so I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to do a bunch of that stuff. At the same time, we're making an arcadey thing. So we don't want to go realistic. And we, because that almost implies, you know, people will be expecting more of a sim experience, I think, if you do right. that. And at the same uh-huh. time, we can't compete as a two-man team who mostly don't know what we're doing at the start of the development <laughs> with, you mm-hmm. know, like big, huge companies making AAA products. So, um, you know, going with something more stylized is a helpful way to differentiate ourselves there. Uh, yeah. So like those were a bunch of the things uh, that influenced it. And then, yeah, I just, I kind of liked, um, I liked the idea of doing a near future thing. You know, if you've got, I needed to explain, for example, how the right stick was working. So I invented this concept of like a giant gyro under the bonnet that spins <laughs> and causes the car to rotate based on um, gyroscopic precession and angular momentum stuff. Uh, and so like that fed into a kind of sci-fi-ish thing. Uh, and so yeah. we started to lean towards, we like looked at stuff like Ghost in the Shell, standalone complex uh, and things like that mm-hmm. to, to pull in. I kind of wanted the idea of like a near future where, you know, most stuff hasn't actually changed, but there's just like a few things. So, you know, like buildings, take too long to change so they mostly look the same but there's like holographic stuff all over the place right Uh, i think we ended up carving out a decent um niche for ourselves where we don't look too much like any other game because giving the game its own identity was was a big thing i think a lot of people will compare it to initial d obviously the meme is kind of a joke on initial d Um, bridge racer was a big influence for me um but then we were trying to make sure that you know like we find our own spot in there where the game stood out and didn't feel too much like any of those one things yeah, yeah, I, I think it, it makes sense. Definitely, it's it's great for just a discoverability sense, first off, but also just because you want it to have its own identity and its own following uh, as, as time goes on. You know, when people remember this game, do they remember it as that that own identity? Um, which I think I think makes total sense. Let's let's talk about the actual because you you mentioned it before. Once you got that publisher, you were able to add all of those different game modes, add multiplayer things like that. So there are a number of game modes in this game. Um, is one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about was though like when it comes to the actual story mode of it. So that is the I would assume that you know that main vision in mind of what you had initially created uh, as far as the game before all of those other extra pieces. Um, how big of a, you know, an impact does that have as opposed to the others? Like if someone was to say like, oh, I'm going to play Inertial Drift, you would push them to that story mode first. Is that the first thing that they should do just to, I am assuming to, you know, kind of get that ramp up of how do you actually drive these cars? Yeah, in a lot of ways, the story mode is like a big extended tutorial, you know, where mm-hmm. I, I basically take those four cars and each one is like a study of like how that car works and slowly builds you up through the various techniques, taking you from a beginner with that car to an expert with that car. Right. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you also you you play through the story mode to unlock the other cars in the game, because basically each of the opponents that you race against has a unique car with a totally unique handling model. Um, and so, you, you know, you have to play through to unlock those. So, yeah, I just wanted to encourage people to play more than one difficulty level um, mm-hmm. and you know, to really experience because the cars all handle completely differently from each other. And so I wanted people to try all of them as opposed to you know, in other racing games where you pick like the two or three you like the look of. Like I always just drive 911s and um, <laughs> like anything JDM uh, right. in, in racing games and don't really touch other stuff. And I kind of wanted to give you a reason to go try the other cars because they're a fundamentally different experience. Um, but right. yeah, the story mode was always the backbone of the thing I wanted to build. Uh, I feel like racing games often don't give you a reason to play through all of their content. They just give you right. a big sandbox, drop it in front of you and expect you to go have fun. 
and I, I'm never motivated to go and explore the corners of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I kind of miss, I think Ridge Racer 4 in particular, it just did a simple story that draws you through uh, the game and encourages you to try different modes and brings you back enough so that you get deep enough to understand the value there. And then if you want to go deeper with the other cars, you're welcome to. Right. That makes sense. About how long would you say it takes to complete the actual story mode? I think um, they're about 90 minutes each for the, each of the four difficulty levels, and each of the difficulty levels has a totally different story. So yeah, gotcha. it's like, um, like six hours, probably, okay. total, depending on how good you are. The top one is very difficult. <laughs> gotcha. I balanced it All for right. myself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I guess it depends on, on your level of expertise. Um, but that being said, and then you still have all of those other different game modes. Can you give us, uh, you know, a little bit of a rundown of maybe like your favorite mode? In terms of um, like the the race modes or the, so the event types or like the um, like Grand Prix slash challenge slash story? Um, I would say a little bit of, of both. I was thinking more of the the different game modes, but you can go either way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I like I like story mode uh, the best. I put a lot of time into <laughs> into making that what it is. Um, <laughs> right. The idea with the challenges thing is to just introduce you to each of the cars and then Grand Prix to like really test your your knowledge of it. And then arcade, kind of the idea there was that that's just where you you practice. So you kind of go from you learn the the, the base cars in story, you unlock the new cars in challenge, you practice with the cars in arcade, and then you like prove your mastery of them in Grand Prix. So that was kind of the, the progression I saw there. Um, so mm -hmm. they're all like integral steps along the way there. In terms of the event types, um, I don't know, I quite like just the normal the normal race modes or actually practice is great. Just like endlessly trying to one up your own time and you know, like studying your lines. It's like kind of nice and meditative. Uh, mm -hmm. I spent an awful lot of time, even you know, seven years into the project, just doing laps of the first track, which was the first track I ever built. I've been racing that for seven years and I can still improve my times a little bit every time. Wow. Always, always room to grow, I suppose. Indeed. That's awesome though. Um, so we already mentioned it, but it looks like the game has done pretty well, at least based on the number of all of the, um, the positive reviews, like I mentioned before. So I think my, my, you know, my main question now is, okay, so what's next, you know, can we expect an, an inertial drift two? maybe extra content for the current game, something completely different. Like what is, what is your, uh, your next step for both you and possibly Tom? Yeah, we're still considering our options there, honestly. Um, mostly my plan at the moment is to, I've got like some um, fixes still left to do. Hopefully when mm -hmm. I get those out, I'm just gonna take a break and play my PS5 when it arrives next week until the end of the year. <laughs> but then yeah, after that, it's possible we do anything. Um, we've got some ideas potentially for some small content updates to do that we might do, but we're not sure mm -hmm. yet. Um, maybe we'll do a sequel uh, to start thinking about what that would be. Um, I'd be almost more inclined to do a spin-off. I think that's one of the things is I think this game showed that you'd think racing was like a totally tapped out genre in terms mm -hmm. of like mechanics. I have right. a bunch of other ideas of stupid things to do. Um, <laughs> I, I would quite like to go explore those. So maybe we do a direct sequel. Maybe I just go explore some other weird angle. Um, right. Maybe I'll do a wipeout game someday. Uh, that's yeah. like some weird side dodging or something. <laughs> but uh yeah that'll be yeah that'll be interesting i mean i think that's that's really a key to to how to push yourself especially in the indie space especially just in the video game space in general there's like there's people coming out with games every day 
there's so much out there and if you don't have that that interesting like twist or that that catchy like this is kind of like you were saying you know that value proposition of like we're an arcade game but we have a really complex mechanic and we have this this breaking down of a, a mechanic that you you would never have seen in any other type of car game right like that's the value that your game brings that's its edge and if you don't really have that then it's a lot harder to to push your idea and to you know you know make waves in this industry uh so i think it does make sense i i'm looking forward to whatever crazy uh as you put it stupid ideas you have um i wouldn't put it as stupid but i'm sure they're they're wacky in some ways um but yeah that's that's awesome to hear the the last question i do have about that though as far as like what's next is right now i i believe you have it on just about every current console um are there plans to push this now to like the series x series s the ps5 what does that look like i guess it works with black and pad already uh, i haven't looked into it too hard um it's much easier to get dev kits if you're like big huge developers uh, right so, um it's possible i'd be really interested to see if it would run at 120 without me doing much work but uh <laughs> i'm not sure um if we do anything it it would maybe be that or like maybe i do some like silly um like headlight shadow features or something uh right. like unnecessary right. graphics features that were just too heavy to do elsewhere um <laughs> but yeah it, it would be very hard to do without a dev kit um so yeah it's not something that i imagine happening in the short term unfortunately right yeah i mean that makes sense it's tough right um the last question i always like to round out these interviews with just some general advice just because there's a lot of people out there who want to get into the indie game space or you know oftentimes a lot of this advice that I, I get from people can be applied to many different areas. It doesn't have to just be about games, but you spent a good amount of time, right? We talked about it. You spent seven years on and off working on this project. If you could go and tell yourself seven years ago, you know, one or two things of advice that would have helped you get to where you are today and made it a little bit easier, maybe, what would you tell yourself? I mean, I, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, and this is maybe something I knew at the time. Um, but yeah, that like scoping is really important. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like getting your the the idea of the right size. I think in the middle of development, I thought maybe inertial drift was even still too big. But I, even at the start, I was like, this is a relatively big thing I'm trying to do. But at the right. same time, it was the smallest thing I could think of that I cared about enough to see through <laughs> to the end. I think mm -hmm. that's an important thing. But, but honestly, you know, like I said before, I actually ended up making it bigger at one point um, to just to, to make it make sense for a publisher. Yeah. A lot of time it depends. It's, it depends on what your actual goal is. Is your goal to make something that's going to make money or is your goal, you know, just is, the, is it a passion project? You know, like this was really a passion project and all the business stuff I did just because uh, that was what was required to make this thing happen. It was like the price I was willing to pay. Uh, right. I don't actually really like that stuff and I'm not that good at it. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's it's worth it's worth thinking very hard about the scope of your title and whether you're going to be able to see it through to the end. But you know, if you just want to go and you know, like try something out, and you know, not necessarily even finish it, I think that's valid as well. I didn't start this project out, you know, thinking that I would definitely get it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. A lot of a lot of people that I've heard before uh, and and talked to have the mindset of you should really just get out there and start working on something. If you have an idea and you have this this passion or this this really cool like I wish there was a game that had this mechanic or I wish there was a game that did this. Like if you have that and you have some type of knowledge or or interest in creating games, maybe just take a stab at it. You know, take that small approach and then see where it takes you and if it's terrible you know you could always you could always trash it or you, you probably learn something from it and then the next time you have an idea then maybe that one will be better right yeah um, and at least trying to make the smallest version of it you can always add bits back in and scale that up later if you try and make the big version of it first it's harder to cut those bits off sometimes um, yeah and so yeah because yeah. you will find probably that some parts of it are much harder than you expected and some parts of it are easier i often cut any corner i could cut that i didn't think mattered i would to get there as fast as possible it's like you know if there's like three options here and one of them is much easier and not that much worse take that one <laughs> that makes sense uh so anyway for those listening inertial drift is currently available on playstation 4 nintendo switch xbox one and pc via steam uh, if any of this sounded interesting to you i definitely recommend checking out once again michael thank you so much for joining today it was a pleasure thank you for having me His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.